Welcome to another episode of the Business of Biotech Summer Executive Sessions. Today, we're getting up close and personal with Dr. Randall Schatzman, CEO at Bolt Biotherapeutics. Bolt's pipeline is focused on delivering immune-stimulating antibody conjugates to cold tumors and converting them to immunologically hot tumors. And its preclinical models are demonstrating that systemic administration can eliminate those tumors. For his part, Dr. Schatzman is no stranger to biology or the business thereof. He co-founded Alder Biopharmaceuticals in 2004, where he led the company through the discovery and patenting of two monoclonal antibody therapeutics. Uh, prior to Alder, Dr. Schatzman made important discovery contributions at both Celltech and Syntex Roche Bioscience, resulting in multiple license deals and commercial drug launches. In fact, during his 30 plus year career, he's credited as an inventor on more than 30 issued patents. At least that's uh, the latest that I've read. Dr. Schatzman, uh, welcome to the show and feel free to correct me where I was wrong in the, uh, in the, in the prologue there. No, I think you covered it well, Matt. Thanks, and it's, it's good to be with you. You're making me sound a little old here. Well, but, I've, uh, we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> experienced. We'll go with experience. I appreciate that. Thanks. And uh, obviously, the, the school of hard knocks has grayed the hair and, and made less of it these days. So uh, I, I yeah. feel that I feel that pain. I've got it in my beard. Uh, so let's get to know you a, a little bit uh, before we kind of get into the topic at hand. Um, Get to get to know you a little bit more. What what prompted you? You just joined the reins or grabbed the reins. That is at, at Bolt uh, by joining the company in, in 2019. What what prompted uh, that move? Yeah, going back to earlier in my career, my what gets me up in the morning um, is getting excited about impacting patients' lives um, and, and and making things better for them. And what became clear to me at, when I came to Bolt for the first time is that it was a, a team that was very passionate about drug discovery, uh, but thinking about patients first. Uh, many of the staff, or at least several of the staff, had had personal you know, experiences with, with loved ones having cancer and dying from that. And out of that derived a, a real passion for how they could change things for patients today. I think in, in general today, uh, many of the, the new agents, you know, maybe will extend a, a patient's life by a few months. Um, cancer always seems to come back and recur, as we say. And I think the, the question was, is how, how do you solve that? How do you really dramatically change that outcome for patients so that you can treat them uh, in a way that uh, their, their immune system will just continue to recognize their tumor um, and be a surveillance for them and eliminate it should it come back, in which case you treat the patient through a single course of therapy, um, you manage their disease and, and they kind of go away and live their lives now um, yeah. is I think where everybody wanted to go. And I got really excited by that passion. Uh, when they took me through the science, it was very clear that this was not just an incremental step in how, how we would treat cancer patients. It was a dramatic change mm -hmm. in terms of the potential outcomes for patients. Now. We're seeing that preclinically, and I think the data is, is, is pretty astonishing uh, when, when we look at it, but we need to translate that into humans through the clinical trials that are ongoing right now. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, so you joined the company in 2019. You've, there's, there's a lot of promise there. You're, you know, personally convicted to, uh, to, to make a contribution to the company, uh, move into clinical trials, see some su- success there. And then along comes 2020 and all that came with 2020. Um, you know, and, and today's, today, today's topic, we're going to, we're going to drill into specifically uh, how 2020 and all that's come with it is impacting uh, an emerging biopharma uh, like yours is impacting its ability to go out there and continue to do business on the financial side, on the funding side, the finance side. Um, so there you are, you know, uh, 30 years into your career, the last several of those years spent uh, making relationships happen and, and pressing the flesh, just like any other CEO of a, of a biopharma. And suddenly you're stuck uh, at home, managing a remote workforce, unable to travel. Uh, when it became clear to you that, that this was not just a, a typical kind of, you know, day in, day out disruption to the business, which small bumps in the road that happen all the time. What, what was your, I guess, initial reaction when that kind of sunk in? Well, to be honest, I, I'm going to admit for myself, I think I was pretty naive in terms of how I thought about this. I remember coming home on that, I was commuting back and forth between Seattle and, and San Francisco. And the, the night that I came home on that, that last flight, which was the first week of March, there were three or four people on the plane with me, was all that was there. When I got off the plane and walked through the Seattle airport, uh, it was a desert at a time where it's usually, you know, I mean, this is one of the busier airports in the country. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, um, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, four weeks, six weeks, maybe eight weeks, this would sort of change what we did. Um, but in fact, obviously, in, in retrospect, it has dramatically changed the world, not just for us, but for everybody um, and, and closer to home in terms of how we operate. I think in, in some cases for the better, um, it has I mean, I, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned 20, going back to the beginning of 2020 and sort of the, the stark contrast here, there is a, a traditional sort of kickoff beginning of the year healthcare conference that happened every year in, in San Francisco. That's right, the J.P. Morgan Conference. And it euphemistically has, has, has become, uh, one term for it is the Biotech Love Fest. Um, the other is the, the beginning of the year viral cesspool. Yeah, because um, people from around the world come, they bring their colds, their flus, and we all leave and everybody gets sick in later, late January or early February. And that happened again this year. Um, but then, and, and then it, go, it passes and you move on and you do business. But the business of JP Morgan is face to face, pressing the flesh. You know, every hour we're doing, you know, two or three different meetings with, with investors and um, and companies for potential partnering, et cetera. And it's that personal relationship, I think, that, that really, you know, drives, you know, many of the conversations that we have. And I think that the trust that one needs to build with investors so that they're hearing your story, um, they're believing that story, and, and they're ready to write their checks, you know, to yeah. support what you're trying to do. Um, and then come March, Obviously, we, we had to step back from that. And for a few weeks, again, thinking this was going to be a short-lived thing, we did a lot of work on the phones. I mean, we had built, you know, the initial contacts at J.P. Morgan. We were doing follow-ups and, and repitching, et cetera. Um, and then it became clear that as the, the disease moved around the world, 
there were separate sets of investors who were plugged in and others that were not. So again, at JP Morgan, we had seen a, a broad set of investors from Asia and the States and, and, and Europe. Mm-hmm. And as the disease moved through, for example, Asia first, you know, in, in March, Asia uh, pretty much shut down and was, was non-responsive to, you know, inquiries and the discussions that we had. The U.S. was continuing to have dialogue. Um, yeah. And then shortly thereafter in March, the, the U.S. market, you know, took a, a dramatic downturn in this case, and U.S. investors pivoted to their own, obviously, portfolios to manage those and, and you know, ask the question, where should their dollars be deployed? Um, and so we lost contact for four or five weeks in that sense. Uh, but then Asia came back first and we re-engaged on those conversations um, and we're having some good successes there. Um, and it was a bit later that the U.S. came back to the table as they had settled their um, uh, their portfolios, where their dollars would go. And all through this, I think everybody was sort of struggling with how do we communicate? Yeah. I think there were some, some tools sitting in the background, whether it was, you know, Zoom, whether it was um, uh, WebEx, whether it was BlueJeans and others uh, that I think we had used periodically, uh, but they all obviously came to the forefront. Yeah. We all had to sort of learn, you know, how to, to be facile on those, um, how to make sure that, I mean, I mean, the interesting first conversations were that, you know, we were doing all partners presentations into Asia um, in our sweats, uh, which was really unusual. And uh, <laughs> six months ago, we would have been on an airplane, you know, it takes you a day and a half to get there. We'd have done the one hour presentation and been on an, you know, a day and a half airplane ride back. We'd have been yeah. exhausted. Um, hopefully we would have been, you know, um, Excited <laughs> in that pitch, yeah. Um, but in this case, uh, we 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 did the pitch without actually really seeing people in the room, and that's a little odd to yeah. not be able to kind of look them in the eyes and kind of see the response. And for me, as a, a gent who spends a lot of time giving presentations, it's that personal connection. I think you know, as you give a presentation, that kind of tells you: Are they hearing this? Is there something that, that's not getting through to them? And you, and you react to that. Um, and I think yeah. that's been one of the biggest changes is how to build that connection and that relationship you know, through this process. Yeah, I want to I want to back up real quick to to a point you were you're making about the sort of uh, e- economic reaction uh, in Asia and the economic reaction here in the states and sort of that pause moment that that you uh, witnessed among uh, investors. I, I saw a report. As a matter of fact, it was just this morning for the uh, for the um, uh, it was it was a pitch deck report. I think I think is what it was uh, that, that reported that U.S. Uh, VC funding in in biofarm in Q2 topped 6.4 billion. So this is like Q2 being you, you said March was kind of that pause moment, or right. that, I'm sorry, that pause moment. So, so in March, things came back uh, allegedly uh, with a vengeance. There's a lot of money available. It's just a different, um, a different approach to accessing it. That's correct. And I think, you know, if you go back to the, I'll call it the before, um, you know, it's funny. I, th- I think that um, as, as we look forward, um, at least life for, for most of us is going to be before the pandemic and after the pandemic. Yeah, uh, in terms of the sort of how we think about things, but before the the break of the pandemic, 
Um, if you if you sort of go back to that, you know, in the political scene, you know, healthcare, pharma, biotech were were sort of the kicking balls, uh, you know, for in, amongst politicians. You know, we were we were the bad guys. Right. Okay? And I think now, you know, post pandemic or, or during pandemic. Um, you know, pharma and the healthcare industry is actually going to be the solution to this. And I think in that sense, people took a pause and they started to listen and they started to, you know, really think through what this, I think, really interesting and innovative environment that has come about in the States over the last couple of decades and its possibilities are. Uh Um, And in addition, I mean, just to be frank, um, today in, in the investment community, the, the biotech industry and probably technology are probably the two top places to put dollars today to see growth. And this yeah. is where the dollars came rushing into the space. It was not just the, the, what I call the healthcare specialists, like the venture capitalists or amongst the public investors. It was the generalists in mm-hmm. those funds as well that began to take an interest in this. Yeah. And if you wanted growth, you had to come to biotech. And as such, there was a lot of dollars that came back in. Interestingly, to access those dollars was through these sort of new approaches of, of connecting with people, Zoom and, and other things to give those presentations. Right. But so what we had was a captive audience. You know, these were investors, instead of them being on airplanes and flying to healthcare conferences, they're all in their home offices, you know, ready to take phone calls. And I think yeah. that was part of the spark on this as well. It's an interesting perspective on it because, you know, one might think, oh, you know, we're, we're challenged having to do things remotely and we don't have that physical contact, that eye to eye contact, you know, to, to the degree that Zoom can give you good, good eye to eye contact. But at the same time, I mean, there's, there's sort of a silver lining in that, you know, your, your investors, the people you're pitching are also in a, a similar position where um, they've, they've perhaps got a little bit more become a little bit more efficient maybe in their ability to take pitches and, 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 and hear, uh, hear, you I, know, think hear. I think that's right. Yeah. So tell me about how the, the remote aspect of, of, of pitching, let's say, let's just take that like a, your, your pitch deck. How, how, how has that changed? How have you had to modify the way that you present the deck and present yourself and present your company uh, to kind of meet the constraints of, doing it remotely. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, in a, in a, a sort of a practical sense, one of the things that we've had to do is I think we put more information in our decks mm-hmm. than we did before. Mm-hmm. So that, and, you know, while I'm speaking or while the team is speaking, they can flip through the slides and they'll be reading on this. Whereas before, when you're in the room with them, I think there's more opportunity to actually explain and answer questions. Yeah. Um, so we might have a more simplified deck and rely on that conversation to make that connection. Yeah. Um, we, we send decks ahead so that there can be pre-reads as opposed to walking into the room cold. Um, and then we will follow up with obviously answering questions from that. And, and those tend to end be emails um, or follow-up calls. And I mm-hmm. think in this case, the other thing that, that we have found is instead of one or two conversations, to get an investor sort of over the line. You know, there might be four or five or six conversations that one has, but interestingly, those conversations, the follow-ups happen faster. Instead of having, you know, maybe having two, three or four weeks between them, there might only be a few days 
again, yeah. because everybody's sort of eager to kind of have the conversation and get on with it. And we're all in a place where uh, we're a captive audience, in a sense, to have those conversations. Do, do you feel as though, so there are more, more conversations, but more, more efficient conversations or you yes. know, more, more rapidly occurring uh, conversations. Do you feel as though on the whole, the funding cycle is, is compressed or, or stretched out? Completely compressed. Okay. In sense. And I think that there's a, there's a challenge to that. You know, as, as we think about doing our own access of public markets, you know, it used to be that a, an IPO roadshow was two weeks and sometimes three on the road, meeting investors, lots of airplanes, as I say, planes, trains, and dog carts. Um, and um, now that roadshow happens over four days. Right. Okay. And so an investor needs to make it before they had several weeks. You, you do a pitch on a Monday and, you know, the, the deal didn't close for a week and a half, maybe two weeks. They could do some research and make their decisions. But now we start the pitch on Monday morning. The deal closes at end of market, you know, as market close on Thursday. And they've now got 72 plus hours to make their decisions. So what does that mean? What that means is, is that we need to educate them ahead of that roadshow. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be some contact ahead of time, you know, making sure they understand the story deeply. Uh, they get their questions answered. They get time to do some of their own research so that when we come to the roadshow, it's really about an update. Okay. They can make their decision um, and then we move on. So it's a whole different sort of structure in terms of how that information has to transpire. The Business of Biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. If you're the leader of an early to clinical stage biotech, you need to check out the resources that are hand curated for people like you at CitivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. The knowledge center there is chock full of articles, webinars, videos, podcasts, and other content that's ultra focused on helping new and emerging biotechs chart the course to the clinic and beyond. Check it out, CitivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. You, you mentioned J.P. Morgan, right? Uh, J.P. Morgan presents opportunities to both um, create meetings, uh, you know, pre-schedule meetings, create opportunities uh, in advance of, of the actual event. And I've heard countless stories of, you know, impromptu, fortuitous uh, meetings at, at a place like J.P. Morgan that result in a fruitful relationship. Um, with the absence of those those forums for both you know formalized and informal networking funding opportunities uh, how, how do you go about cultivating new opportunities in a, yeah. in, a, in a remote world yeah so this is it's actually a great point because the the jp morgan sort of conference is this whole ecosystem um it's not just the conference itself it's yeah. what happens all around it uh, and i can't tell you the number of times just walking down the sidewalk You'll run into somebody, you'll have a conversation, and it will strike, you know, a follow-up call. Um, and ultimately, uh, uh, we were standing in line for when I was at Alder, and we ran into a couple investors, just we we're trying to get coffee. And we ended up having this whole conversation in, in the coffee line that, you know, six weeks later resulted in an investment, mm-hmm. you know, from that investor. Um, and we don't have that now. So I think now you have to be much more intentional. 
okay, in terms of, of how we do these things. We did a healthcare conference last week where we did, you know, 16 pitches uh, in two days, and they were 45-minute conversations five minutes apart. Yeah. You can on, on Zoom, you can just flip between these, you know, very, very quickly. Um, and, and it doesn't give you the chance to have those little sidebars and build that. So again, I think this is the, the onus then becomes follow-up calls and continue to build those relationships because it really is the relationship that gives confidence to the investor that they're, they're thinking about putting their money in, in the right place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, tell me about what you're seeing from a competitive standpoint. Is the, I mean, there, there's more money available than there, than there has been. Um, is there more competition for that money as well? There is more competition. Uh, and I think obviously when, as we say, when, when the, uh, when you get the chance to raise money, um, in a market like this, you should raise money whether you need it or not. Yeah. So it, almost everybody is out raising money. And so the, the challenge then is getting the attention of the right investors that you want to be in front of, uh, because in part they're, they're going through exhaustion themselves. I mean, as, as you've experienced yourself, um, you know, there's, there's no eight, eight hour day anymore. It just seems like it goes on and on. Yeah. And it's, and it's not a five day week or even a six day week. It's a seven day week now as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with this crush of, you know, proposals coming through investors offices, uh, I think the, the challenge is, I think even more so to make sure that the, the, the pitch uh, is, is pithy in a way that grabs their attention early on uh, and mm-hmm. keeps them coming back for those follow-up conversations. Yeah. Uh, you know, from, from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, you think about the money that's available and you already alluded to the fact that, you know, we've gone from uh, kind of the, 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 the federal government's uh, whooping boy to, you know, it's the, the potential savior um, in, a, in a global health uh, crisis. Would you, um, would you say that COVID treatments are sort of a, a, a no-brainer uh, in terms of investment opportunities right now? I mean, are, are COVID treatments kind of getting the, all the attention or glory? Well, well, they're getting, you know, a fair amount of attention. But, um, you know, I go back to fundamentals. Drug discovery is still drug discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fair amount of risk to it. Uh, and there's a fair amount of failure along the way as well. And I, I think my advice for investors is still, you have to do your homework um, and really understand the, the data, trust the team that, that you're, you're working with um, and not just be putting money there because it's a COVID indication and, and there's going to be a need because we're going to see failures yeah. along the way. And I think that you know, the, the public should prepare themselves for while we're getting a lot of, I think, great um, progress on you know, potential vaccines right now. Um, a number of those are going to fall out by the wayside, you know, as the data doesn't reinforce, um, you know, the, the level of efficacy that we need or the safety profile, you know, isn't what you want when you're going to go put a drug into, you know, literally billions of people on this planet, even a 0.001%, you know, adverse event rate. And in that many people means a lot of people are going to have problems right. with it. And, and, and again, I think we need to, can, we need to move expeditiously. And the FDA is being very supportive of that in terms of, you know, how they're allowing, you know, teams to, to approach their development programs. But we still need to have the rigor that, that should happen all the way through in a drug development process. 
Mm -hmm. Do you see uh, current funding availability trends following any certain therapeutic areas? Do you see any, any trends there at all? No, I think the, again, the, the funding is always going to, you know, follow success. If there's clinical success, you know, from a, a rigorously performed study, um, it will attract good funding. Yeah. So, I mean, cancer is always an attractive place for yeah. doctors in, in part because all of us are experiencing, you know, colleagues, friends, family that, that are getting cancer and suffering from that. So it really hits close to home where some sure. other diseases may not. You, uh, Bolt has, has had a couple of recent wins uh, financially, has it not? Well, we, we did. Um, you know, we recently raised what we call a, a Series C round of financing. It attracted a, a group of really premier investors, both from uh, the, the venture space, um, but also from the what I call the traditional public space investors as mm -hmm. well, who are now looking to, you know, late, I'll call it late stage private company investments is a great place to, to have uh, growth in your investment as we, as we as the receivers of those dollars transition into the public markets. Usually there's step ups along the way that, that they want to take advantage of. And I think in that sense, it, it said to me that the, the Bolt story uh, is provocative. Um, it's exciting investors uh, in, in a way that, that others are uh, probably as well. Um, but certainly enough to attract significant dollars. In this case, we raised you know over ninety-three million dollars uh, for mm -hmm. the company, which is significant, and I think gives us the the war chest to really prosecute uh, the the studies that we think are key along the way to understand both the technology and how we can impact patients' lives. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you know we could we could go on for hours about uh, what uh, set bolt up for, for that success, uh, to, to win that kind of funding. Uh, but surely, you know, it, it wasn't just a pr provocative pitch. Uh, what would you kind of give us as the, as the high level, um, key, key points or key contributors to your, your recent round of funding success? Well, I think that, um, for me, it's always about the team. Okay, the, the Bolt team and the data that they have put together and the passion that's helped them put that data together uh, comes through when we give the presentation. Investors get to see that there's really a thoughtful approach to the science that the Bolt team is doing. And I think huge kudos for them. You know, mm -hmm. when, I, when I go out and do the pitch, it's always the royal we, um, but they're doing the work. Um, and they're really getting deep in this. I get the, the pleasure of, and the excitement of presenting their story for yeah. them. And it's, a, and it's a ton of fun to do that. And it's fun for me to engage with investors and see their eyes sort of light up when they get what's going on at Bolt and what the, the Bolt team is putting together. Yeah, very cool. So we've talked a bit about how the game, the pitching game has changed, um, you know, virtual, presentations and digital tools, less travel. Uh, if, if we ever revert to or, or return to uh, some semblance of normal, which is a big question mark, but travel restrictions are lifted, you know, uh, we're less reliant on, on, on digital technology if we choose to be. What, what have you learned? What tools have you used? What uh, strategies have you adopted? by way of this disruption that you think are good, that will stick as you move forward. Yeah, yeah. I, think there's, I think there's much of this that's gonna stay with us. 
I think the concept of the, you know, the, the, the former healthcare conference where we, we showed up for a week and did 45 meetings in that week um, is behind us. I don't think we're going to do that anymore. I think there's just there's too much to be gained uh, in terms of the the impact we can have by having more meetings along the way without just focusing on those conferences. Uh, it's going to continue. When you say um, when you say just on that point real quick, when you say I don't think we're going to do that anymore, do you mean are you, are you speaking in a general sense about the space, the industry, or do you mean specifically both? I, I think what we're going to find is a balance of places where we have the opportunity to do face to face that won't be quite as intense as mm -hmm. we, we did before, and balanced with this more ongoing level of communication using these other tools and staying in touch that way. You know, it used to be that you, the, the healthcare conference was the place you made most of the contacts and had many of these conversations. Um, and now I think that we will do some of that, whether it's face-to-face -face or whether it's, you know, using these, these virtual tools. Um, but I think there will be much more use of the virtual tools just to stay in touch with investors along the way all the time. And I think that's actually a better place to be. For yeah. teams, we're on fewer planes, uh, so there's, there's less jet lag and exhaustion. Um, there's actually more hours in the day. Instead of six hours on an airplane, I can do six hours of contact with investors you know, mm -hmm. on that given day, um, and that's more constructive on this. And I will do that more frequently as opposed to a week of healthcare conference, a couple weeks of, I'll call it quiet time, and then back to another healthcare conference. It's going to right. be more continual along the way. And, and we'll just need to get used to that. I think the challenge today is, is that we need to find uh, a way to get uh, work-life balance mm -hmm. uh, into our lives. Um, I've said to many, I would crave to have my commute back because that you know, our, you know, either in the car or on the airplane was a transition time from work to home um, where you sort of mindset, you know, into the other place where you were going uh, and you could decompress. And we don't have that anymore. You know, yeah. home, just it's on the other side of that door now um, and work, you know, it's so easy to, to go out and have dinner and come back and, and work is still sitting there. Yeah. All night yeah. long. I know. Okay. And I think finding, finding that balance will be key for us. Um, but I think, and, 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 and we'll need to do that because of the fact that we're going to be having these communications all along the way now, as opposed yeah. to periodically. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, the, the, the flip side of the, of the original question, the, the question I just asked about, you know, what's going to stick uh, as a result of this, what, what's working, what's better. I was going to ask you on the flip side of that, you know, what, uh, what do you feel as though the, the pandemic has taken away from your professional uh, life uh, that, that you'd be anxious to bring back? I didn't anticipate that your response would be your commute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be, be well, to be honest, that surprised me in thinking about, you know, what, what we cherished, you know, in the, the before COVID environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for me, in part, it was that, that time to sort of decompress. But the other thing that I think we miss today is the intimacy at work, mm -hmm. of being able, the, I'll call it the chance encounters, where at least for scientists, the chance encounter in front of the whiteboard that's in the hallway or in one of the meeting rooms where you can stroke out an idea 
and have a quick conversation or moving into somebody's office and just plunking down in the chair and asking yeah. the question, have you thought about um, that you can do in 10 minutes between meetings? Okay. And now we have to be much more intentional. And that conversation actually happens through usually a scheduled meeting as opposed to the chance encounter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We recently returned to uh, normal, you know, I, I use the, the, the word normal in air quotes uh, operations. As a matter of fact, this past Monday uh, in our office and those chance encounters are, um, you know, I, I guess a little bit closer to, to reach now, uh, but we're still maintaining obviously social distancing. Uh, if we're not in our personal workspaces, we're masked up. You know, there's, there, there are those barriers that, that remain. So I, I totally get that. Yeah, and, and it will continue, I think, to be awkward like that. But it will be a new mode of operation that, that we will get used to. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, I mean, hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future, uh, you know, the advent of, of good vaccines, hopefully will get us back a little ways toward that. But I still think that we're going to continue to be more operationally remotely than we were before. Mm -hmm. you, you, you'll, you'll go to the office when you need to and when there's certain meetings and then you'll get those chance encounters. But on the days when you have no meetings, I, I think there's going to be more work from home and it will be more acceptable. Yeah. Do that. It says, well, why, it won't be, why isn't Randy here today? It will be, uh, I understand why Randy's not here. Um, and, and I'm going to get some phone calls. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And I'll listen out for those. Yeah. Yeah. More acceptable and in many cases more efficient. I, I, as a matter of fact, live about an hour uh, south of the, the office that I'm in right now, uh, which is two hours of, of my day to come into the office. Some days, to your point, Dr. Schatzman, uh, those two hours are, are wonderful transitionary times. I could listen to music, listen to a podcast, you know, do, do what I need to Oops, do to kind of, yeah, uh -huh. whatever it might be to, you know, yeah. put myself in the right frame of mind to be here and then to put myself in the right frame of mind to go home to my kids. Uh, but at the same time, there's a, a huge efficiency enabler in, in life in general, uh, being able to work from your you know, from your home. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that I think what's important is, is that because this has been a, a, a worldwide participation mm -hmm. in this transition, that many of these things are acceptable, that they wouldn't have been acceptable before. Right. In the past, if I didn't show up at a healthcare conference, it would be what's wrong. Right. Where? Yep. Right. Where's Dr. Schatzman? Where's Bolt? Yeah, yeah there's, there's something wrong and they're not here. But now when you don't show up at a healthcare conference, it's, I get that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, in, in our San Francisco office, actually the Bolt company is down south of the city. Uh, it's probably 20 minutes south of the airport down there. And we have investors who are in the city. And on the days where I would plan to have face-to-face -face meetings with those investors, maybe they're only one hour meetings. I would have to plan two hours of transition to the city, the one hour meeting and two hours of transition back. Mm -hmm. You know, the day's gone right. for the most part with that. Um, but it would have been unacceptable for me not to show up face to face yeah. for those. And now it's very acceptable that I just do a Zoom call. Sure. And, and I get four more hours in my day. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and investors are okay with that. Yeah. So we are, we're running short on time here, Dr. Schatzman, but in the time that we have remaining, I want to ask you about uh, the, the uh, potential for an IPO that we discussed uh, recently. 
Um, you know, as you weigh that out, how is this strange reality that we live in right now playing into that decision? Uh, you know, the pandemic, it's an election year. There's that uh, discussion we had earlier about our perception to the, you know, the industry's perception uh, to, to the government. Um, how, do, how does that all kind of weigh in on your uh, decision? Well, forward? I think first and foremost, the, uh, obviously the bold progress, okay, and, and, and where the team has gotten us um, is the first and foremost what makes us uh, compellingly think about that. Mm -hmm. The other obviously is the, I'll call it the nexus of, of uh, dollars and interest that investors are showing in the space, okay, mm -hmm. that you, you have to take advantage of. I'm a, a, a CEO that, that says the best time to raise money is when you don't need it. Yeah. Okay. We just closed that recent, you know, financing. Uh, our our bank account is very flush right now, and now is the time to go have that conversation of of what's next. Okay. In addition, what's interesting is is that, um, you know, in January the discussion was all about um, the the uh, the election, and the industry was thinking that they would be off the road and sort of not having financing discussions in the whole back half of the year. Mm -hmm. Now that's gone away in part because uh, the politicians have, have stopped kicking us, mm -hmm. um, but part also because just the logistics of how we do an IPO today is so compressed. Mm -hmm. There's actually more opportunity in around, there's more space if you will, in terms of time to do that IPO around the election conversation. Um, so there's opportunity that we need to be taking is what it is. And we would be remiss to be not having this dialogue and at least lining up the company for the, the option to do that and have the conversations to investors to see if they would embrace that. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck to you on that. I, I, uh, I, I wish you well as you explore that. Um, Thank you. It's it's an exciting time. Uh, it's I, the fun for me is is that many at Bolt. This will be the first experience for them to go through the IPO process. Yeah. Um, and so my my uh, interest is getting them excited about this, getting them involved along the way, uh, because this will ultimately be the product of what they do, and the story that they have built will yeah. make this the successful IPO that we all want it to be. Excellent. Uh, any concluding thoughts, Dr. Schatzman, for uh, the leaders of, of emerging biopharmas, maybe specific to uh, raising funds and, and um, forging, for, forging ahead with relationships in these unprecedented times? Yeah, for, for me, just the, the final thoughts are, as, as I said, raise money when you don't need it. Um, yeah. Keep in mind that um, not all dollars are the same, meaning um, dollars from certain corners are, have... Um, strings attached mm -hmm. uh, that you may or may not want. Um, and I think importantly along the way, keep in mind that as you take those dollars and how you build your board and the, the group that you get together you know, on that board uh, will be very, very important to your day-to-day -day life uh, mm -hmm. in terms of whether it's a, a, a difficult one to manage or whether in fact it's a, 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 a fun one to be part of. And I think those are sort of the bigger pictures of, of how I think about it. Yeah, sound advice. Dr. Schatzman, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Matt. Thanks. It's good talking with you. Yeah, we appreciate it. So that's Dr. Randall Schatzman. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. 
We're thankful to Cytiva for supporting this program, and I encourage you to visit CytivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech for more great resources that are hand curated for early stage biopharmas. I also encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter at BioProcessOnline.com. In the meantime, thanks for listening.